Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the creek. I'm Pastor Matt. Um, if this is your first time, uh, we've got a guest card somewhere around you. If you'd fill that out just at a level of your comfort so uh, we can uh, get some information to you. It's really just so we can start a dialogue uh, so you can get some information about us as a church and we can help you. We don't stalk you or anything like that. Um, uh, and we don't, uh, we don't abuse that information. We, we take that very seriously. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 26. We're continuing. Here is our King was the series that we launched uh, a year and a half ago when we launched the church. And we decided we were going to teach right on through Matthew. And uh, the whole guide through Matthew is uh, Matthew is a Jewish writer, Jewish man, followed Jesus. And he's writing for the, for the Jewish audience to say, the Messiah that you've been waiting for, Jesus, he's here. The king you've been waiting for is here. And so we've been tracking through that, and we've seen Jesus' ministry progress, and we're actually coming into really these, the final days of his life and his ministry on earth, and uh, we're actually going to spend several weeks uh, really diving into this. I made the comment last week, I felt convicted, instead of trying to get through the book of Matthew, I'd rather spend time in it for transformation, because that's what God really desires anything. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and go, go, oh, you made it all the way through Matthew. Good job. Um, I think we've got to get to a point where uh, Scripture transforms us. Uh, it is living, breathing, alive. This is the Word of God. Uh, and for us to study, let me kind of help us a little bit. For us to study it, the first thing we've got to do when we read is invite the Holy Spirit into our study time. Otherwise, we're looking at it with our eyes, but we invite the Holy Spirit in to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, so that we can see what's going on in Scripture. And then for us to really gain an understanding, we have to understand what was going on then and there. Matthew's writing to a specific group of people in the time that he lived in. And we've got to understand what's going on for them. What's all the context about? I'm really excited about next week because we're going we're gonna to like get into context. I don't know if you remember the history class um, when you were in elementary school. You know, you'd have the movie, you'd walk into history and the big reel-to-reel would be up. I know I'm dating myself, but that's all right. Um, the reel-to-reel is set up in the classroom, and you're like, yes, movie day, ha! And then, then the, every guy goes to the teacher, I want to run it, can I run it? You know, because you get to feed the film through, and you, you know, that's, that's what the projector sounds like, you know? But in history, we had uh, these films that were called, You Are There. That's how it was said. You know, they'd start out and be like, today we're going to talk about this, and you are there. And so I remember those. I don't know if you do. Next week, we're going to actually dive into the Lord's Supper, and, and we're going to kind of set context. And for us um, as, a, as a community, us as a family, really get in and understand uh, the Passover meal. And so I'm kind of giving some cards up front for that. Today, we're talking about a sensitive subject. Um, uh, it's betrayal. And I honestly, I was going to do a Facebook poll on this, but, but I, I decided not to because uh, that, um, I don't think uh, publicly is a place to air some of the baggage that we probably carry um, with betrayal. The, the truth is, is we've all been betrayed and we've all betrayed someone. When I do premarital counseling, uh, we talk about this issue of trust and I make it very clear to this couple that's getting ready to make a covenant before God and let them know it, trust is not a matter of if it gets broken, it's when. Because we have to understand something. And let's, let's set this this morning where we're all on level ground. The one thing I love about the cross is it's on level ground. And so we can all come to the cross and, and we're, we're all human. We all struggle. We all have sin. We're born into a sin nature. We all have this tendency uh, to break trust. 
We all have this tendency to carry a lot of baggage when trust is broken against us. And so I want us to go into this scripture really asking God, uh, God, uh, let, me, let me draw closer to you. Our goal with, with teaching is to make Jesus clear and to love you. And we hope that you're on a collision course with Jesus this morning because a lot of us carry hurt and baggage that honestly, Jesus is the only one that can fix this. And so I want us to, to really dive in and understand a couple things. Uh, one of the old dogs of faith that I, I like to listen to makes a comment that says, God is sovereign, but man is responsible. Um, to unpack that a little bit is, is God is in control of everything. Nothing happens outside of the knowledge of God. There's nothing that we can do that's going to surprise God. You know, I, I could get really good at surprising my mother and my father, you know, uh, but uh, I can't surprise God. I mean, when we pray, God goes, ooh, I'd never, oh man, you just, where'd you come from with that, son? You know, way out of left field. God is sovereign, he's in control, but man has responsibility, which means we have to make the decisions that everything we do is to glorify him. And so God gives us a role and gives us a part to play in the redemption story of mankind. And, and that is a, a beautiful thing uh, to be a part of. I honestly, uh, this past week, just spent time in uh, humble awe, I guess, because uh, last weekend, um, with kids staying here and really uh, working with our kids, uh, 12 kids gave their life to Jesus last week. Um, and that's huge. And I just sat there Sunday evening, and just as I reflected on that, just how amazed I am that God uses us uh, to carry out his plan of redemption for the world. Because God is sovereign. God could snap his fingers and say, everybody's fixed. All the problems are done. Here you go. Thank, thank you very much. God could have created us to automatically serve him and love him and, and to where we weren't born with his choice. But I love that God has given us a choice to glorify him. And I love that God chooses to use us in his redemption story. And so as we go through the next several weeks of Jesus' walk to the cross, I want us to understand that God chooses to use us and God chooses to involve himself in our life so that we can have a, 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 a right standing connection. We can be made righteous with God. So as we dive into this, we're going to be in Matthew 26, and uh, I'm going to, we're going to look at some sections this morning. And uh, normally, I, you know, we start and go verse, but there's some stories that kind of skip around. And I want to bring, kind of bring them together so we can look at this idea of betrayal um, because Jesus has been betrayed. Uh, all of us have. All of us have betrayed uh, other people. All of us honestly have betrayed Jesus in some way or another. And so I want to look at this, and, and I, I love the, what, what, uh, what uh, God gives us just comfort in in Hebrews when he says, you have a great high priest who has gone before you, who has faced everything you faced. So every temptation I have faced, Jesus has faced. Every situation, all, every hurt. I mean, and, and when, God, uh, when Jesus went to the cross, every sin was placed on him. So we don't serve a God that's like, well, I really don't know. Let me do some research and I'll get back with you. You ask me questions and I get emailed questions uh, about Scripture and about things going on. And I have to say, let me get back with you because I, I don't know. But Jesus has it all. He's got it and he's been there. And um, the, first, uh, the first thing I want to do, we're going to go to verse 14 here. And this is, we're going to spend some time talking about Judas. Uh, but Jesus has been be betrayed by an enemy. 
And I, I want to qualify this because Judas walked with Jesus. And so when we say that he's been betrayed by an enemy, um, we can gain some understanding about Judas. Let me, let me read you verse 14. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have some at the end of the row for you. And uh, if you don't own one, take it. It's yours. Um, you don't know yet that it says thou shalt not steal. And it's not stealing anyway in church because we're giving it to you. We want you to have that. It's everything else that we'll help you with. Um, Verse 14, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand them over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. You see, this this plan is now setting in place. The betrayer is coming. Judas uh, has sought out the opportunity uh, to hand Jesus over. 30 silver pieces is what the price was. Uh, Judas has a secret meeting. There's some kind of things going on in the background. Um, and Judas goes in secret. I, you know, we made the joke last week that in secret, the leaders plotted against Jesus. And they're, they're kind of whispering behind God's back, if you think about it. Jesus knows what's going on. He's like, Judas, what's up, man? I know what's going on. You know, he's probably thinking in his mind, yeah, he's talking to him right now. And I want to kind of understand some things about Judas. Let's us dive in here with Judas a little bit. Um, God knew that this was going to happen. I mean, we don't read this in Matthew and go, oh, oh man, you know, Judas, is, he, he's pulled one over on Jesus. In Zechariah um, 11, this is foretold. Even the price is foretold. And so God knew this was going to happen. From the foundation of the world, God knew this plan. For hundreds of years before, it had been prophesied against because Jesus was the person, the Godhead, or the God, the God man, fully God, fully man, who was set in place to be the sacrifice for our sins. And the Old Testament, if you think about the Old Testament, the Old Testament is all, all looking toward the cross. And everything from the cross to now, we're looking back to the cross. And Zechariah had prophesied about it. Man was responsible for the betrayal, yes, but God knew about it. And that doesn't give Judas a free pass either. Well, if this is God's plan that Judas betrayed Jesus, then he was actually doing the will of God by going and selling Jesus out. Don't try to justify sin that way. It's a dangerous game, trust me. Judas had the choice, but God knew what was going on. So we got to understand that 30 pieces of silver is what uh, was paid for for Jesus. Let me read to you here Exodus 21. If you want to go back to it, you can. It's... uh, Exodus is back in the Old Testament, second book. This is where I told you you meet Charlton Heston. Otherwise, Moses. Uh, I'm going to read to you uh, 21, chapter 21. I'm going to hone in on verse 32 here. This is uh, some law that's going on. I lo- if you go back up to 28, he says this, if a bull gores a man or a woman to death, the bull must be stoned to death. Okay, a bull goring, some, they, they have law. So this has happened before. If you think about it, something has happened that we have to have a law against. But later it says if your bull has a habit of goring someone to death, it's, it's just nuts. But go down to verse 32. It's good reading. It's actually something that you should really learn and understand. Okay, if the bull gores a male or female slave... The owner must pay 30 
shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull must be stoned. See, what's going on is Jesus is being sold for the price of a slave. The religious leaders and the chief priests, when uh, Judas says, what do you give me? They valued Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, at the value of a slave who will be gored by a bull. And when we start to understand that, they cheapen Jesus' life. And I think sometimes today we cheapen Jesus' life. I think sometimes we cheapen the sacrifice uh, that, that God is willing to put on human flesh and walk this earth and to live a sinless life and go to the cross and suffer the excruciating pain and be placed in a tomb and be raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think we cheapen that experience. And it's worth so much more. There's eternity on the line. And I'm not, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just, we've got to start thinking that we personally are of greater worth and that Jesus is of the greatest worth. And I think when we do that, he gets our place of worship. He gets our priority. He gets our focus. He gets our attention. See, Judas spent a lot of time with Jesus. I mean, think about it. He walked and he saw Jesus perform miracles. He saw the things that that Jesus did. He saw people's lives transformed by the power that Jesus has. And then Judas can sell him out. Uh, we, We don't know why Judas made the decision to sell Jesus out or to betray Jesus. A lot of commentaries have a lot of information on why this is the case. Judas was the treasurer. Um, John says that he would take from the treasury, he would steal from the treasury. Many people believed that, that, and there was a common uh, perception that when the Messiah would come, there would be a uh, political upheaval that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Roman government and people would be free. The Jewish nation would be free, much like Exodus coming out of Egypt. The Messiah is going to come in and they're going to they're get rid of the Romans and we're going to be able to live life our way and we're going to be out of this oppression. And so maybe Judas looked at Jesus as someone who's going who's gonna to put him in a political powerful, politically powerful situation. So Judas is staying close to Jesus so that when he does overthrow the government, he's going to end up probably in a great financial situation. In other words, Judas is only drawing close to Jesus to get what he wants, to push his agenda. The interesting thing is Judas never called Jesus Lord. I can't find in scripture where he said, my Lord and my God are called him Lord. He called him rabbi, which was a term of respect, good teacher, but it showed that we don't have the relationship that you've come to have with me. I've set this at a distance. I'm following you because you're, you're pushing my cause. Jesus had a following in the towns that they, they would visit. Word of his miracles would get out. You know, so look at it this way. Jesus' stock was up. His popularity was good. Things were rolling. Judas is probably thinking, man, we're right on track. You know, five-year plan, I'm going to be in the palace. I'll probably get to oversee the entire treasury. I'm not going to have to worry about money anymore. I'm not going to have to worry about anything anymore. I'm going to be taken care of. It was the Jesus retirement plan, I guess. It's like I'm retiring on faith. I'm I'm just kidding. Um, But what happened when Jesus' stock started going down? Judas made the decision to to sell out, to cash in. 
and he cashed in on Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, I'm convinced of this. You can be close to Jesus but have no relationship with him. We can come around and we can play the religious games and we can do the religious things and have no relationship with Jesus. And ultimately, at the end of the day, when Jesus doesn't benefit me, we sell him out. I mean, if Jesus is not Lord, then I'll leave him when he stops benefiting me. I mean, it's a very selfish way. And we look at Judas and really see what's going on. You kind of start to see the heart. Remember, Judas kind of led the charge with Mary last week on uh, her anointing Jesus with the perfume. Such a waste. I mean, we look at worship and a kingdom investment as a waste. And we start to see it doesn't benefit me, so I'm moving on. I'm cashing in here. You know, all of us, honestly, we, this is where Me Too comes into play. We've all betrayed Jesus like Judas did because we've turned away from him when we didn't get what we wanted. I don't know if you played the game when you were a kid. You know, you're trying to talk to mom in the store into buying you something, and the answer is no. We, we, we saw one of these little fits play out yesterday at Academy, and uh, I just was like, oh, I'm so glad those days are over. Because you know, the next time it's involved in my family, it's going to be my daughter's taking care of it. And I'm going to be like, <laughs> I'll be egging it on. I'll be like, do you remember when? Yeah, baby. But uh, you ever say this to your mom or dad? You cross your own, I'm never speaking to you again. You didn't give me the bubble gum. I'm never speaking to you again. And then you realize, oh, man, before I made that vow, I should have asked about this. You know, you're like, okay, fine. We do that with Jesus. I mean, you know, we, we pray. Maybe our prayer doesn't get answered the way we want it to. Maybe things are tighter than we want them to be. Maybe Jesus doesn't benefit us personally. I've learned some hard lessons that Jesus cares more about my godly character than how comfortable I am in life. He desires to grow me in integrity and wisdom and in favor and stature with God and men than for me to be, me to be comfortable. And I walk away from him when I don't feel like he's given me everything I want. We betray him. And so let's look at this. Um, Without a relationship with God, we're an enemy. In Romans 5.10, it says, when we were enemies with God. So when you think about it, Judas was close to Jesus, but no relationship with him. It was surface level, and he was an enemy of God. And let's read on, verse 24 and 25. This is what Jesus responds to Judas about. He said, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. How bad does it have to be for Jesus to say, it's better that you're not be born? I think Jesus loves Judas. But he's saying, and what you're doing, the betrayal, the level, you are wasting your life. And then in verse 47, Jump over. This is where Jesus is arrested. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, Judas, had arranged a signal with him. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward and seized him and arrested him. Um, you see, Judas called him rabbi, but Jesus called him friend. It's, it's easy to betray someone when we keep it on the surface level. 
You know, I don't know if you've kind of seen maybe a working relationship that, that you don't want to fully engage with, so you keep it surface level just in case you have to, have to do something, you have to make a few changes. You know, we tend to do that if we lead staff. We try to keep relationships with our staff at surface level so it's easy to let them go. If you, if you manage a sales team, you, you understand that because the turnover that goes on. And so we keep it surface level. Um, we like to keep our relationship with, with people that we're not real sure we want to go to that level with on the surface. And it's easy to betray them because then we're like, well, I, it really wasn't. I mean, it was, just, it was just skin deep. You know, they'll get over it. But Jesus takes it very personally. I mean, Judas called Jesus rabbi. Jesus called him friend. He's like, do what you've got to do, friend. You see, if you've been betrayed, you understand. It doesn't matter if it's surface level or not. It hurts. It causes scars. It causes baggage. It, it causes damage. And when you're betrayed by an enemy, it still stings. But there's a, a worse betrayal. It's betrayed by a friend. And we'll look at Jesus. Jesus suffered that betrayal as well. And it was through Simon Peter. Betrayal by a friend or someone close to you is a very deep hurt. Friend or family member. And it stings. And it, 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 it's a deep cut. But it can be redeemed. Verse 31, this is Jesus talking. Um, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. This is after the Passover meal. He says, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And so what you have here is Simon Peter setting it up. And he's saying, God, God I, I, Jesus, I hear the prophecy. I know the prophecy that, that God's going to strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter, but not me. I'm in. We're in. We're like this, man. Uh, Jesus, it's you and me, buddy. I mean, Simon, man, I love Simon. He was the, the hot, he would just speak it, you know, just blah. And says, uh-uh, I'll never betray you. And Jesus is like, Peter, you know, rooster, before rooster crows three times, you'll do it three times. Peter's like, uh-uh. That's a spiritual response, by the way, uh-uh. No, I won't. And all the other disciples said, that's not going to be me. And Jesus has been honest. I mean, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Remember, God is sovereign, man is in control. Peter had the choice to betray him or not, to deny him or not, to disown him or not. But Jesus knew it was going to happen. And so when we follow Jesus, let me, let me say this. James really hits this well. We follow Jesus in word and deed or word and action. And we, we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. It's, it's why we try to mobilize us as a church not just for us to gather in the, the, the comfort, <laughs> I say that loosely this morning, of the courtyard, and, and we can sit around and surround ourselves with the Word of God and, and amazing worship, and we just kind of, oh, it's all about us, and I just want to just soak in the Word. You know, and God says, okay, now get up off your butt and go do something for the kingdom. 
And so that's why we try to mobilize us as a church. That's why we're making it a little difficult and there's, there's school supplies oozing out through the lobby because there are kids in our school district that cannot take care of their school supplies. There are families that don't have enough to be able to give their kids the tools needed to go and have a great year of education. And as the kingdom of God, we say, Jesus, we, we, we're not just going to say we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And, and we, may, we may be able to take care of three kids' school supplies, which by the ooze that's happening out there, there's already been one pickup load that went last week and another pickup load this morning that Kevin was telling me about. And so I think we'll take care of a few kids, but we're going to do what we can do. You see, sometimes we're moved to inactivity because we don't think we can make a big enough dent. We don't think we could ride in and be the hero and say, we've got supplies for your entire school for the next five years. Thank you. I mean, we, let's be honest. We want to be the hero. But you know what? How about if we can just touch the life of one student? That they are overwhelmed on the first day of school because... Someone cared enough that they got a new pencil. Yeah, for us, maybe getting a new pencil is not a big deal. But if you see a kid that gets a brand new pencil, it, it may, it, that may be what lights up learning for him. We never know what kind of impact we make by us following Jesus in word and action. And so Peter says, I'll never do it. And here's what happens. Verse 69, let's skip over. I know I'm skipping, but I want to I run lines through these two men. Now Peter was sitting out in the, car, the, out in the courtyard. This is after they arrested Jesus, and not, not the courtyard, not the children's courtyard. Sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gate, Uh, to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man stepping up here. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives it away. It's like, you're from Texas, ain't you? Um, then Then he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. He is cursing the people out for associating him with Jesus. Then, the, then immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You see, Jesus knew what was going to happen, and when that realization came to Peter that he had betrayed Jesus, he wept. It cut him. Just like the betrayal that Jesus suffered, it cuts, it hurts. And let's look at how, what the outcome is. Go to, flip over to Matthew 27, verse 1. Um, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the, the, the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. God is sovereign, man is responsible. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. 
in Acts chapter 1, it says that uh, Judas fell from hanging and his guts spilled and burst all over the land. And so at the end of this, uh, Judas realizes he can't fix things and he takes his life. And then you've got Peter. Flip over to John 21. Go down to verse 15. Let's read what happens to Peter. When they had finished eating, I'll wait till you get there. It's on page 1070 in my Bible, if that helps. Verse 15, John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now what's going on? This is after Jesus has been resurrected. And let me give, fill a blank here. Um, Peter... Um, after this, runs away, and Peter goes back to fishing. He goes back to doing what he does. He goes back to doing what he knows how to do. Let me just say this. Sometimes when we start walking away from God, we find ourselves doing the same things we were before we encountered Jesus. But let let me just tell you this, too. We find ourselves doing that a little more empty because we know the truth and we've experienced that truth, and there's still that, that sting I mean, I'm sure Peter spent some time weeping, but as he's fishing, he's thinking, you know, I, I, I really, man, I don't know what happened. I, I, I told Jesus I'd never betray him, and I did. And now I'm sitting here, and, and this is going on. And Jesus comes up, and he's telling about fishing. And Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you, will not, where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. You see what I love about this is Jesus is restoring Peter. The outcome of betrayal can be so many things, but Jesus desires restoration. That even though Peter betrayed Jesus and cut Jesus deeply, he desires to restore him. And he sits with him on the seashore and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes. And it sinks in. And he tells Peter to follow me. You know, we've all betrayed in some way or another. Judas betrayed Jesus and tried to pay for it with his own life. Judas tried to pay for it by taking his life. And here, Peter, through this restoration with Jesus, instead of taking his life, realized, I can't fix this myself, so I'm going to give Jesus my life. We're really two kinds of people. We're, We're Judas or Peter. I mean, we, we find ourselves in situations and we try to fix it ourselves. Or we put our hands up and surrender and say, Jesus, help me. It comes down to who you trust. You see, 
Some are going to trust themselves to pay for it, and some are going to trust Jesus to pay for it. And it all comes down, do I trust Jesus? I, um, I want to I, I wanna give you your challenge here real quick. It's um, simply for you to surrender to Jesus and allow him to restore you. And I, I, I'm going to go there for a minute. Just bear with me. Um, we've looked at Judas and Peter and how they betrayed Jesus and, and what that does. And some of you are carrying that betrayal. Some of you are carrying scars and pain from betrayal. But it's, it's not because uh, you feel you've betrayed Jesus. It, it's some of us feel that maybe Jesus or God has betrayed us. And maybe you've kind of sat on the sidelines and went back to what you were doing before because you feel hurt by Jesus. Or you feel God hurt you. And let, let me just encourage you for a second. It's that God is faithful even when we are not. That God desires us. And God truly knows what to give us. And God truly desires a restoration with us and a relationship with us. So much so that Jesus was willing to endure the suffering of the cross, the suffering of betrayal, the suffering of hurt and shame so that we can be healed of those scars. And I don't, I don't know if you feel this morning that maybe God's betrayed you in a certain way. Maybe the prayer didn't get answered the way you wanted it to. Maybe the money didn't show up that you had given. Um, but I, I just want to encourage you that God is faithful above all else. And I think in that moment, I think the best thing that we can do is, is us instead of going, God, I'm never going to speak to you again. Maybe we, we go to God and say, I, I give up. It hurts. That betrayal still hurts. But God, I trust you to restore it. I, I can only tell you this from experience that any pain God does not stop in your life the pain that he allows you to go through, he's going to redeem it. And so if we start feeling betrayed and walk away, we never give God time to redeem that. If, if, if we betray Jesus and walk away, we never give Jesus the opportunity to redeem us, but also what Jesus wants to do in us and through us. And so the lives that God wants to connect us with to be able to transform that, that may be carrying scars and baggage from hurts in the past. Maybe your baggage doesn't come from God. Maybe it comes from church. Maybe you feel like your church betrayed you or the church betrayed you. I'll tell you, we're not a perfect church. And, and if we do let you down, we're, I'm going to humble myself and I'll repent. That's something I have to do daily. But there's too much at stake for us to carry the hurt against each other or against God. There's too much on the line. The, this isn't just, I'm not going to speak to this person. This is life and death. This is eternity. This is a relationship with God on the line. That God is sovereign. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants, but he chooses to use people who are messed up to work in his plan of redemption. And I don't, I don't know where you're at with that. I, that. I just wanted to get that out. I was... I was that was kind of burning in my bones, and I didn't know how to address that. It wasn't acid reflux. It was, <laughs> and maybe this morning, I'm going to pray for us, but maybe, maybe, maybe you need to kind of get in the quietness of, of where you are. Maybe you need to visit 
mic or us in the prayer room and just say, Jesus, I surrender it. I surrender it. I, I hurt. I feel like you've hurt me. I feel like I've hurt you. And let's just get this thing restored. What I love about Jesus is he is all about restoration. And he forgives me and he remembers it no more. He doesn't come back and go, well, you did this last time, you're going to do it again. You see, God says, I I don't know what you're talking about. I forgave you. I love you. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We, uh, this isn't always an easy subject to, to talk about. And we try to soften it with, I let you down, um, or you let me down, but, but we'll move on. But, but God, some of us feel a deep betrayal. And we may have focused the cause of that betrayal to you, to a church, to our spouse or to our kids or to our parents. But God, um, the truth is you understand the pain of betrayal. You understand what it's like to have a back turned on you from an enemy or a friend. God, you created us to worship you. You made us, you formed us, you breathed your life into us and said it is good and we turned our back on you. And you sent Jesus so that we can be redeemed, so that that we can turn back into a relationship with you, a holy communion with you, God, that we can grow and share and we continue to turn our back on you. Forgive us. God, forgive us for being childish, for, for getting upset at you, for not taking care of our comfort when you desire to develop in us a godly character. Father, I just ask that this morning as we encounter Jesus, we encounter the Messiah, that that we just don't call him good teacher, that we humble ourselves, that we surrender ourselves and say, my Lord, my God. God, help us to quit walking around the edge of this thing. Help us to quit being in association with Jesus, but open that up so we can have a real relationship. God, some of us are going through some hurts right now. Some of us are carrying hurts from the past, and and, and I know nothing that I can say right now is going to fix that in an instant. But God, we just ask right now for a process of restoration. And that process of restoration begins with us humbling ourselves before you and repenting and saying we're sorry. God, give us the strength and the courage to walk out that restoration. And that may mean going to someone else and saying, I'm sorry. Forgive me. So, Jesus, I just ask that this morning, as we understand the feeling of betrayal, we know that you have experienced at a deeper level than we can imagine. We surrender ourselves to you. We say, I'm sorry. And we tell you, Jesus, that we love you.
Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Help us to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.